Welcome to The Partnership, the straight-up business podcast where co-founders chat co-founders with co-founders. I'm Jennifer Bettmeyer. And I'm Melissa Duran connor We know... We, th- what are you doing? Go ahead. <laughs> we know a thing or two about being business partners. We launched media relations agency, Jennifer Beck Communications, aka JBC, together in 2014. So each episode, we invite co-founders to share their stories about building something new from the ground up. Today, we're so excited to be chatting with JB Osborne and Emily Hayward, who co-founded branding company Red Antler together in Brooklyn, my favorite borough, way back when in 2007. You always have to work Brooklyn in there. In the past 14 years, Red Antler has established itself as the go-to brand building company for startups and scale-ups, having helped shape everything from visual identity to packaging design for some of today's most amazing companies like Casper, Alberts, Hinge, ThreadUp, and of course, our favorite, Levine Bakery. Red Antler is so predominant, in fact, that Fast Company famously called it a cult brand whisperer. It's pretty cool. Emily literally wrote the book on the matter. It's called Obsessed, Building a Brand People Love from Day One, and it came out last summer. Welcome, guys. Hey, thanks for having us. I'm so excited you're here. I feel like we have been pen pals for a while, and this is the first time we're actually kind of face-to-face having a conversation about our brands and it it just feels like a full circle moment. Yeah. I remember when we were first starting, every time we talked to a new brand, we were like, oh, who's doing your branding? It's like Red Antler, <laughs> Red Antler. And we're like, who the hell is Red Antler? <laughs> so um, this has been a long time coming. We are huge fans of you guys and the work you do as our, the entire industry. So this is exciting. Um, I guess as we're getting into it, we want to jump into the partnership, obviously, that you two have. But before we do that, we want to just get quick backgrounds, like Where'd you come from? How did you guys link up? Like kind of like your early careers that led you to Red Antler? Yeah, well, our our paths are mostly the same because we met at our first job out of college, which was at a big global agency called Saatchi and Saatchi. And we were both working on General Mills brands together. Um, And just at that time, you know, we were in our early 20s. It was very social and we became friends. JB, should we tell how we became friends or is it too embarrassing? I think it's perfect. Okay. We should absolutely talk about it. (laughs) Every Thursday night, I would tape the TV show, The OC, on VHS. And a group of us would book a conference room on Fridays at lunch to watch last night's episode of The OC. Wait, the reason that's so amazing is my husband, who I've been with for a while now, recently told me in a weird roundup that the OC is his guilty pleasure and that sometimes when I fall asleep at night, he watches reruns. And it's basically was like, if I hadn't known that, I would love you. But now that you've told me that, I love you all over again. Does it Wait, hold I up? Think I, I feel I like your husband. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I need a rewatch. Yeah. So, okay. So, the, how, so this was how long ago? Like 15 years ago? Oh, 2003, so 2004. <laughs> Okay. All yeah. right. Okay, good. So I'm talking to like my people. The height like, of the OC. The this is yeah, we were watching it. This is new, ep- fresh episodes. This isn't like a, you know, rerun situation. Yeah, Marissa was still alive. Sorry. Okay. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> so then 
we went separate ways briefly. I took a job at JWT, which is another big global agency. And JB, do you want to step in with where you went next? Because that's more relevant, I think, to our story. Yeah, I left Saatchi and I opened up the New York office of an agency that was based in, in Auckland, New Zealand called Consortium and jumped uh, jumped into the deep end of trying to figure out getting something off the ground from scratch. And it was incredibly eye-opening, humbling, uh, character building, <laughs> and and also opportunity creating. And, I, and once I was doing that, I would run into Emily uh, I think it was primarily happy hours in the West Village with former Saatchi people, uh, and they couldn't quite wrap their heads around what I was doing and why I had these weird business cards. And uh, I vividly remember Emily yelling across the table to me and saying, you're living the dream. And I was kind of like, am I? It feels really stressful. Um, <laughs> then her enthusiasm made me realize that I would love to have someone come and join me on that challenging adventure and uh, and convinced M to come and work with me at that business back in 2000, I think it was the end of 2006. What was it about Emily that you were like, I want her? Enthusiasm. It's very kind of JB to tell the story this way because truthfully, I like wore him down <laughs> to bring me on to do this with him. I was really unhappy at JWT. It was not mm -hmm. a good fit for me. And I would see JB and he was like doing this incredibly adventurous, interesting, scary sounding thing. And it sounded so much more exciting than my job, which was very corporate, you know, based in Midtown. And again, just not a good cultural fit for me. Um, so it was really a campaign of harassment that led JB to bring me on. And I think he also realized eventually that we did have complementary skill sets and that I could add some value. But I think he just got sick of me bugging him to hire me. That is so funny. I love that he was so sweet to make it seem like way less <laughs> not chill. And you're, but you're also honest enough to tell what the real story is. So um, I appreciate both of those anecdotes. Well, the brain is very good at remembering what it wants you to remember, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I think I definitely remember hitting a point where I was trying to figure out what my strengths were amidst um, having a tremendous amount of responsibility across a lot of different things and realized that writing is something that while I could do it, it created a tremendous amount of stress. And uh, the idea of having someone who was amazing at language um, and communicating was very much interesting to me. Mm -hmm. And I think that was, I remember thinking back to like putting together a presentation, thinking about strategy, messaging, all of that. And, uh, that was definitely not where my strengths lied. And remembering that M was a, a planner in the ad world. And, uh, while we never worked together on the same account, when we were at Saatchi, we just watched the OC together. Um, I knew that she was incredibly smart and, uh, and better than me at things that I needed help with. And that's where I think every great partnership begins. It's so, so true. So when you first linked up, did you have a, some sort of plan or roadmap to launching a business together? Who would do what? Or was it more just like, I like her, I like him. We want to do something different and new. Let's just get started. Like, how did that evolve? Well, when we first linked up, it was still 
really as employees of this company consortium. You know, I mean, JB was running their New York office, but it was just him. You know, they were literally across the world. And our mandate was to find clients for consortium. But what started to happen was because there were just two of us, people just started introducing us to their entrepreneurial friends. And I don't even think they called them entrepreneurs at the time. Yeah, it was like, startups. oh, Those weren't words you have an agency. My friend's starting a business. Maybe they need advertising. And we started having these conversations where they did not need advertising, but they did need strategic thinking, You know, how to think through who our target audience is, what do we stand for, how do we articulate it, a lot of what we knew how to do. And we were really excited about those opportunities. And our bosses in New Zealand were less excited about those opportunities. Yeah, I think it was, they were opportunities that were big on opportunity and not big on money. So there was the chance to work on interesting, exciting things, but there weren't budgets Mm -hmm. um, in place. And, you know, they were looking to invest in us and getting the business off the ground, but needed you know, revenue from paying clients to make it all work, which is logical. It makes sense. Um, So I think what started is Emily and I working together as employees um, and trying to chase down whatever opportunities we could, which I think, you know, back to the humbling piece, I think when I took that role initially, it was exciting. It was a totally different challenge. It was the opposite of being in a hierarchical organization where my future was like climbing a ladder to be my boss one day, which I didn't feel excited about. And then wound up at the other end of the spectrum where if I didn't figure out how to find some clients, I was a failure. And uh, that forced me into cold calling and doing things that as someone who is uh, relatively introverted, I can like make myself be extroverted when necessary, but my, my resting state is one of, of shyness and, uh, and social anxiety. So having to randomly call, email, chase down companies to try to get a meeting, to try to convince them to work with us was, uh, was a, a very good development opportunity. Um, and so Em and I were working through that. And I think the more we spent time together and found ourselves like in the trenches, having these meetings, pitching people, trying to get them excited about working with us, we realized that we had great chemistry and um, enjoyed working together, uh, complimented each other. And, and I remember the moment when we discussed kind of what was next for us, which I think is the, you know, what could we do together? Should we start something? And uh, I don't even know if it's still there. Aroma? Uh, yeah. Aroma I don't know. On, on Houston Street in Soho, uh, a couple blocks away from our office, we had breakfast. And, uh, and from that moment, the world changed. So what, so what was the conversation where you literally like, we have stumbled upon an opportunity that where we are does not want to take advantage and we should, we're, we're more passionate about this. So if that, if that's how the conversation went, what was the next step? Did you both quit your job like the next day or was it like months in the making? So we, we knew things were not going well with with the company and they were you know they were not thrilled with the traction and i think that we were we had different ideas about what we wanted to be doing so it was a little bit of a like the writings on the wall conversation but with us looking ahead and being like when the inevitable happens which is that they're going to pull the plug on this what do we want to do next and i remember i was like maybe i'll go to business school jp's like you're not going to business school (laughs) 
he's like, we're going to do something together. And I was like, okay. (laughs) So the next thing that happened was we met with an amazing entrepreneur, Scott Belsky, who was one of the people that had really inspired us over those past few months and just floated this idea by him. We were like, if we were to go off on our own, do you think there's something here? And he is like, I would hire you guys. And we're like, if we had one paying client, like that would be enough for us to feel like we can take this leap. Like we'd have something to wake up and do every day. Mm -hmm. And it was also just an incredible, I think, vote of confidence from someone that we really respected and admired who was in the middle of building an incredible company that went on to become Behance, which later got acquired by Adobe. Um, So that was, you know, a great beginning for us. And I think about a week later, we got the phone call from New Zealand that we had been expecting that like this is done. Um, and that's when we really started making plans. That's awesome. I remember I moved to Brooklyn the morning after we found out that it was done, which meant that my new one-bedroom apartment, uh, my one-bedroom apartment with my then girlfriend, now wife, uh, would be lived in by someone with no income. Um, but I guess it was better timing than losing my job and having to apply for an apartment, which makes that trickier. So I guess it all. I think I literally think everything happens for a reason and happens in the way it's supposed to. So I'm sure that was scary, but um, to your point, you probably wouldn't have gotten an apartment otherwise. Yeah. It (laughs) it was the right order of operations. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It felt crazy at the time. Yeah. No, it's, it's so interesting. And I think everyone kind of, especially people with entrepreneurial spirits have, come to understand that you kind of just go with the flow in in a sense, like there's a little bit of like controlled chaos happening when you're running your own business or just, just a little bit. bit. (laughs) Yeah. And some of it is everything happens for a reason, but there's also some things where you have to control what's happening at the same time. So it's like a, it's a yin and yang thing, but I guess, um, I think Jen mentioned it earlier and you guys said no about defining now that you guys have a business together, like who's doing what, Knowing that, I I feel like we talked to some partners who are like, I have someone who does what I don't do well, and that's great. And then when we talk to them more, we realize you actually both are really good at the same things. You don't really realize it, you know, Um, even if there is some of that that point of, you know, we fill in where the other one kind of can't. So I'm curious, was there a conversation or does it just happen naturally? You just like, this is what I do. This is what he does. And we've never talked about it and it works well. I think in the beginning, there was actually a lot more overlap. The two of us did everything together in those early days. We were both doing new business. We were both, you know, being creative, (laughs) thinking through strategies for our clients, how they should launch, how they should grow. And I think it's actually only as the years have gone by that there's been a more natural division of labor and a necessary division of labor. Yeah, I mean, I remember back in the early days, designing wireframes for websites, Facebook ads, like we were doing whatever I had to get done. And that was not necessarily my skill set. But when there's two of you, you, you know, you do what you got to do to get it all done. And uh, I think we had different backgrounds in, in our agency experience. Um, but ultimately threw ourselves into it and just tried to figure out how to do it all. And also like learn together because so much of it was um, trying new things for the first time and having the conversation about like, is this good? <laughs> like, like debating what the path forward was and, and kind of creating those skills in real time. And we started a company where brand was really our, our perspective, 
the core offering of what we were doing. And neither of us, neither of us had worked at a business that was in like the brand building um, game. We'd worked at a, a, a big agency that worked with some very big successful brands, but they weren't creating brands. And so we were really figuring it out as we went. Um, and over time, I think we realized that just with the volume of stuff that had to get done, we had to divide and conquer. And then dividing and conquering led to kind of more specialization and then how we thought about growing our team and what additional skills we needed. And like, I think over the years, it's continued to evolve and evolve and still today is evolving. And and we definitely have moments where we like step back and talk about it. I know for me, it's typically prompted by like, I'm overwhelmed. I can't do all these things. Which things should I focus on doing and which things does someone else need to be doing? Um, but then there's core things where I think we've, we still overlap. Um, there's a lot of decisions that we don't make without the two of us talking and, um, and more of the, just, I think, uh, the counseling side of having a partner where we're just bouncing ideas off each other, venting, trying to, hear another perspective to see if our perspective makes sense. We still do that. Inventing uh, again. About, yeah, exactly. Again, many times. Am I right to be furious about this? Yeah. <laughs> would you be furious about this? Yeah. <laughs> I, I would say on any given day, I wake up because I'm on the West Coast to a text from Melissa at like 5 a.m. saying, let me know when you're up so I can vent. <laughs> yeah, like, literally. Like I not count the healthiest the way to start the get day. But it, on that subject, is there like, are there boundaries with your personal lives? Like I imagine you guys have been working together now for, you know, longer than a decade. And it seems like you have such a great chemistry. Do you, I, I, I imagine you guys are close friends as well. Do you keep any sense of boundaries when it comes to personal and professional? Zero. We're best friends and our wives are friends and our kids are friends and we hang out all the time. It's like yep. exactly as annoying as everyone might think. Honestly, we have interviewed now, <laughs> we have interviewed now probably, you know, 10 to 15 partners and we're usually the only ones that say that. They're like, yeah, well, we try to respect the other person's blank. And, you know, sometimes I think, you know, when Melissa started having babies, I tried to, you know, back off a little bit, but she was literally texting me while she was in labor, you know? So yeah. I mean, I we, think I told Jen the minute, like the pregnancy trust dot like dried and gave yeah. me a result like before my husband. So it's like, you know, it's, it's like, it's a much, it's the relationship is so different. Like people are like, Oh, it's a business. You're like, no, like it is so much more than a business. You have literally attached yourself to another human being the same way you do when you get married, but it's an, you know what I mean? So it's like, this person is just as important than my husband, you know? So it's like, people think it's weird, but I don't, I think it's normal. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I think yeah. you wind up having even more tangible conversations about money and risk tolerance and like future plans than you do in your personal life mm -hmm. necessarily. I think like my wife and I talk about those things, but probably not as much as we should. And we're like swirled up in the day to day. And I mean, now having a kid of like all of that. <laughs> and, uh, but with the business, you have to be doing those things yeah. at like at specific cadences. So I think Em and I have had a lot of, like we've had to navigate a lot of tough stuff and figure out like, what do we want to be when we grow up? What are we working towards? How do we navigate this challenging thing? And all of that just brings you closer and closer together. And you understand what makes each other tick even mm -hmm. more. Um, yeah. And I think we're now at a place where it's like, I would say we're we're communicating less than we did at the beginning. But in the beginning, we were like trying to figure each other out and ourselves out and like everything was crazy. And now in a few minutes of talking, like we get like, we're like, 
we get each other and we can figure out where our heads are. And it's like, okay, that's what we're going to do. Like we're much more focused and decisive because we're very much on the same wavelength. Mm -hmm. I actually think, and I'm sure people are going to listen to this and disagree, but I think that having Melissa as a business partner makes me a better wife because I truly, I mean, I know there are a lot of people that think your partner, your romantic partner, your husband, your wife should be like everything. I don't believe that. I think that, you know, you can have a great romantic relationship with your partner, but it's also important to have other types of partners in your life mm -hmm. or other soulmates or, you know, yeah. other loves of your life. And I think that, you know, it's really healthy for me to have certain conversations with Melissa that frankly, I don't want to have with my husband or I don't want to have with a best friend. And so having Melissa as a partner in life, I do think has helped me strengthen other relationships I have with within my family or my friend circle or business associates because she's been you know, a certain type of outlet or support mm -hmm. for me that I don't get anywhere else because we do the same thing every day and no one else, no matter how many times I explain it to my mother is going to understand mm -hmm. exactly what it is we do. I so totally true. agree with you. Everything that you said. Absolutely. But of course, I'm sure there's someone listening being like, your husband's not your best friend. You guys should probably go to therapy. Like, <laughs> no, like, no, it's, I think there are different okay. categories of best friends and different levels and different yeah. interactions you have with people. I mean, that's what makes you a whole person. And, um, you know, I, I always am in awe of people who are running businesses and brands by themselves. I really don't know how they Me do too. it. And, um, cause I wouldn't want to do this alone. And Jen says it all the time. I wouldn't, she wouldn't want to do this alone either. And it's, um, made us stronger to be doing it together. I think our business is stronger because we do it together versus if we were each doing our own agencies. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's not even that I couldn't do it alone. I, I don't want to, to me, it's so much more fun to have like a spouse to do it with, you know, a work wife or a work husband. I, it just makes the, the wins so much more rewarding. And when you do have that loss, it's really important. I think to have that other person to be there with you because mm -hmm. I, I also, I look at solo founders and we represent so many solo founders and I, I really am in awe of how they shoulder that, that pressure every day. Yeah. I think it takes a very specific kind of person to be yeah. a solo founder. And I, I think there are, there are a few people I've encountered like through the, you know, 14 years of doing this that do it well and it suits them. I think there are also a lot of solo founders who would really benefit from a co-founder. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm yeah. like, is there a way that I could just delicately suggest that, you know, I think that you don't even realize how helpful it is if, if you don't have it, you know? Yeah, Let me ask absolutely. you guys something, and, I, and we've never asked this question before, but knowing the type of agency you have, and it's a question we've gotten is, have you ever thought of bringing in a third partner or have you ever come to that place where you're like, we do so well together. Why don't we launch X, you know, bring in someone to be our number three or something like have, have you ever had that conversation? So we had a third founder for a period of time. Um, he wasn't there at the beginning and he's not with us now for purely personal reasons. He ended up needing to move back to where he was from to be closer to his family and where he's from is very, very, very far away. Um, so it was a really like amicable split and he was instrumental to the growth of the business for the period of time that he was with us. Um, I think that because JB and I started the company, just the two of us, we continue to have a bond that exists from those early days where it doesn't feel, I mean, I, I miss him as a person and I miss working with him, but it's not like 
suddenly were incomplete, you know, like we were doing this together and now we're doing it together again. Um, but it was interesting, obviously, to like go from two to three and then back to two. Mm-hmm. I think that even more instrumental recently has been just bringing on other leaders to the company, you know, people who we trust on things even more than we trust ourselves, people that we can like lean to outside of just the two of us who's who we really like value their opinions and can learn from. And that's also been a shift in our dynamic, a really positive one, I think. But at the end of the day, like the buck stops with your co-founder. Like there's things that you're going to talk about with your co-founder that you would never talk with with someone else on the team, Mm -hmm. no matter how much you love them and trust them. And like, they're an important part of the future of the company. At least I feel that way. Yeah. I think sometimes you're also just trying to work out how you feel about something. Like there's the really candid conversations that are about processing information to your point, M, like deciding if you should be pissed off about something or not. Mm-hmm. And um, and so when I think about solo founders, I'm just like, I guess they're figuring that all out themselves, right? Like you don't have the ability to have a sounding board in the same way. Um, I think a lot of people have great like business coaches, which can help navigate that. But it, it's just not the same as someone no, who's in the weeds, in the battleground day to day, who understands every nuance, every special thing that's happening. It's, you know, they're... Advice is always going to have a level of objectivity that doesn't give you the subjective opinion that you do need to make that decision. So that's why, to yeah. Emily's point, you really you have to be a certain kind of person who can really navigate that and do it well on your own and, and really feel confident in that and and make those decisions. But I think, um, you know, having a partner has, you know, obviously exponentially made that, that kind of process much easier for folks who do choose to go the co-founder or the partner route. Um, but I guess my my ne- my question for you guys is, it can't all have always been perfect. Like I know you guys are obviously best friends. Your chemistry is amazing, but has there ever been a moment where it's like you really butt heads or you really disagreed on something? How did you get around that conflict or find your way through it together? Yeah. I mean, one thing that comes to mind for me is like in the earlier years, I was actually in a really bad relationship romantically, not my wife. (laughs) (laughs) And I was really unhappy in that relationship and could not pinpoint the source of my unhappiness and started to blame work. And I don't know if that's something, I think that's probably common, right? Is like, you just know you're feeling stuck or dissatisfied and you're like looking around for a target. And it was almost easier to make work the target than to acknowledge the truth, which is that I needed to get out of that relationship. Um, So that was a tense period for us. You know, I was doing a lot of soul searching about like, what I even wanted. I was also just trying to put a lot of energy towards making a relationship work that shouldn't have worked and ended up not working. And I think that it's a testament to the strength of mine and JB's relationship that we got through that period, but it was definitely like a rough patch for us Mm -hmm. where I wasn't even sure that I wanted to keep doing this. What was that like for you, JB? Uh, Scary and stressful because I think, you know, I think uh, I very much saw... M is a critical piece of what we were creating together. And I, you know, I think there could be some people that would be like, okay, this person's going through a challenging thing, like get out of the way. Like I'm building this, I'll do it myself. And, you know, one door closes, another opens. That was definitely not my attitude. And I've, I've never been interested in, in doing, I mean, really anything alone. Like I'm someone who really appreciates the collaboration uh, of working with others and I was, I didn't, I didn't see a path forward that wasn't the two of us doing it together. And I mean, I remember 
like like in my mind, it's like confronting Emily about this. And I use that word very specifically because I think one of the things that's absolutely true in the the journey of our relationships is we're both incredibly opinionated. And oftentimes we have the same opinion, but maybe we don't start there. We have to like get there. Um, but we neither of us is timid when it comes to sharing our point of view. So when we're, we have to talk about something where we might have a different viewpoint, you know, it's, you know, you're not, you're up against someone who's got a, is smart, <laughs> good communicator. I'm speaking of who I'm up against. Um, <laughs> and, you know, you got to have your, uh, your facts straight. So in that scenario, I, I felt like I had to kind of, it was like we had to sit down and have a really tough conversation. And I knew it wasn't going to be an easy one you're dealing with a lot of emotion uh, on all fronts and you're personally but, invested too as a friend totally you know totally it's mm-hmm. like it's it's one big messy thing um which is also what makes it amazing and i think that like going through that together because we did like i was uh, an accessory to that challenged relationship and <laughs> we were spending a lot of time together and saw in my mind like am changing and like she was a different version of herself and wasn't as happy as she used to be because she's an incredibly happy person uh, in general, and that made me sad and concerned. And it was like there was the friend side of it, and like this person that I spent a ton of time with isn't happy. But then, and that's affecting our business, but also it's affecting me and my happiness and how we. It's like it's such a complicated web. But I think getting through that together made us even closer and stronger, and also taught us like how we can navigate, you know, talking about challenging things because like building a business together the number of things you're going to have to like work through, figure out, discuss. I think we're now at a point where, you know, we're almost 14 years, well, probably about 15 years working together, 14 mm-hmm. with Red Antler. I don't, it's like nothing really phases me anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, I think one of the things that's been the most, like the most critical skill to develop through the years is not letting anything rattle you too much. Like there's always going to be surprises, ebbs, flows, like you've got to roll with it and try to keep perspective and I think that's something that we've learned in our relationship together and just as founders of a business. Um, and that's come from, you know, we've, uh, I don't know that I like, like war metaphors, but like we've been to battle many times <laughs> together. Like, we're like, yeah, we've been to like pitch meetings countless times. Like we've told our story so many times like, we've done all of those things. Um, and through that have a shared perspective and ability to like, trust one another, feel comfortable with one another and and work through things and know that we will be able to work through them. Have you ever had, I mean, you guys are so in demand. It's like every time we meet with someone, we're like, who are you talking to? They're like, well, I really want Red Antler to take my call. Um, but have you guys ever had a situation where there, a client comes and one of you is super passionate about it and like, we have to do this and the Jen, other person is I like- I was literally about to ask, to ask the, the exact same question. same question. Well, I because <laughs> I know how we deal with it, but and it, I'll be honest, it actually does have happen from time to time with me and Melissa from a PR perspective. Mm-hmm. And I know how we battle it out. I'm curious if you guys are normally on the same page and if this does come up, who wins? I think we're generally on the same page. I think that JB is far more of an optimist than I am when it comes to the possibility of a potential client. Like I'm much faster to be like, nope, like that doesn't sound interesting at all. Why would we do that? Or like, I didn't feel chemistry. And like, JB, I think one of the things I admire about him is he's always like, hey, let's give it a chance. Like, here's why I find this interesting. I think the times when I'm able to be like, 
absolutely no is if I feel like there's a conflict with our values. Mm -hmm. And JB is incredibly respectful of that, which I love because I think sometimes it's like, particularly my perspective as a woman, I'll be like, "Mm," like I looked at their Instagram and I think it's sexist or something along those lines. And JB never argues with me when Mm -hmm. I have a point like that. So then it just becomes more about like, is this exciting? And and sometimes I think you're able to convince me, JB. Are you? (laughs) Yeah, sometimes. But I think you typically, I think one of your biggest strengths is you have like visceral instincts and reactions about things. And like you have a strong opinion typically on site. And one thing that I've learned through many years of collaborating is to trust that. So like part of why I roll with it, if you have a strong feeling, is because I've learned many times over that, you know, nine out of 10 times you're right. And and the number of times I tell clients that as well, like when they get nervous about picking a new name, it's usually the scenario. I'm like, look, I've been working with Emily a long time. She's right. So if she thinks you should do that, you should do it. And that's not my opinion. That's just a fact. Um, <laughs> so I think that, uh, that that's part of what's come from um, us being through so many of those decisions and uh, and the shared experience and working with companies where there are challenges and like being able to spot the signals of, of why. Um, but yeah, I still can't help myself but be an optimist. So we'll have those conversations and I'm trying to like make sure that we're not missing a detail or an angle or possibility because I can't help myself. But unless I've got a really good case to make, I'm like, okay, Next, <laughs> like, let's move on. So now all our prospective clients can learn that JB is actually the softy because they probably think <laughs> it's the opposite. <laughs> That's how we are too, though. I think people think I'm the hard ass. I, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but don't you get that feeling, Melissa? And then if, if you're at JBC, I usually am the good cop. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think Jen is definitely the one who errs on the side of like nice and soft. And I'm always the like, "Mm, I'm not into that. And it's, it really has like, I'm very much like, I have to have that visceral feeling. But I think the good thing about Jen is sometimes she sees past that. And there are times where my visceral feeling is wrong. And the point that she brings up and kind of identifies that maybe I didn't see is, well, you know what? That is there that we didn't realize. Our job is to make sure other people see it because I didn't see it initially. So that's the story. So I think it worked. I mean, we just know each other so well because I think it also flips the other way around too where yeah. she's like, hell no to something. And I'm like, no, no, no. You, this is, you I have say to no hear me. I say no a lot yeah. more than Melissa And I'll does, tell her, like, I, this is what I see. Um, and she, you know, for the most part, she's, she may be like, I still hate it, but let's do it. <laughs> but um, the, way, the way I see it, though, is that if Melissa is going to go to bat, if I say no, and she's willing to go to bat, and she's willing to call me and say, hear me out, this is why we should do it, then something almost instinctually in me flips. And I'm like, okay, if Melissa is this passionate, then I'm missing something. And then, as Melissa said, as a PR agency, it's our job to make sure other people don't miss that. Um, but we will give it a shot. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever said no to anything you've been, or to, uh, frankly, anyone on the yeah. team. If someone yeah. comes and is super passionate and feels really strongly about something, we will we will try. You know, like, I feel like there's so many amazing brands out there that just, they haven't been to Red Antler and they don't have their branding together. Or they don't have their narratives together. And they're coming to us to say, please help. And, you know, then we're willing to give it a shot. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that makes a lot of sense. I think for me, my hesitations usually are more from team chemistry than business. Yeah. And because I'm the one that works more closely with our clients, 
I have a little bit of a card to play there because it's yeah. like, okay, I get that you're excited about this business idea, but I have to deal with this person every day yeah. and like, I don't want to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, no, and you're not yeah. wrong. I mean, absolutely not. We're in a service-based business and half of our decision-making is did we feel good about that interaction and did do they share a value system and that we do? Are they nice? Like literally it's like the most basic thing is do we think they're nice first because we're going to have to talk to them all day, every day. They're going to text us questions at all hours. And are we going to be okay receiving that text? And we confidently can say that about every single client we work with because they are such nice people. Um, and we really try to determine that very early on. So we don't get in situations that we're not, unco- we're not comfortable with. Like one of the best parts I think about owning a business is being able to choose who you work with. And again, I will be honest, in the beginning, it was not like that. We were (laughs) certainly not in a position to say no to a monthly retainer. But now, you know, seven years later, to be able to say like, you know what, we did a new business call and that person sounded like an asshole. So we're not going to work with that person. And then conversely, there is this person who's amazing and passionate and she's a female founder and she's trying to do X, Y, Z, and maybe she can't afford our full retainer. Let's find a way to work with her. So being able to be in that position, I think is one of the most rewarding, you know, aspects of owning your own business and, and seeing it through, you know, five plus years or so. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but couldn't agree more. So well said, but Melissa, Absolutely. we should ask some questions specifically about Red Antler too, because I feel like there are, even though in our industry in our kind of bubble, like you're sleeping if you don't know what Red Antler is and who they've worked with and what mm-hmm. they've done. And in our, you know, in my opinion, I feel like there's so much synergy between like what you've done in branding and marketing and what we've done, hopefully, or what we're trying to do still and PR. Um, but I'd love for you guys to talk a little bit about too, you know, when you're looking at new clients and now you are in that position where people are emailing you all day long and we talked about this, Emily, in our clubhouse chat last week. What is it that you guys are really looking for these days? Because there, it is super saturated now. Mm-hmm. It's not like it was 14 years ago where, you know, to get an email about a mattress company was innovative. Like, what is it that attracts you to brands these days? Yeah, one of the things that um, I love most about our business is we're seeking out challenges. Like, we want to work on something we haven't done before. Mm-hmm solve a new problem and i think through doing that add value to the world like help something launch that needs to exist versus um working on things that are sort of like another thing like many other things that are already out there and as as the world's become more crowded it's become easier to launch a business easier to access capital um and there's more and more things launching i think we've found that it's even more critical to think about that filter of like our are we excited about the challenge that we're taking on? And do we think we can uniquely add value to that business? And are we going to learn something in the process? Mm -hmm. Um, That's something we're talking about that all the time when we're evaluating opportunities. And I think at like the bottom of the list is like budget and fees. And um, I think we, we talk a lot about our values, what we care about, why we're doing what we're doing. And we genuinely, you know, 14 years into our business, I think what a lot of people thought would happen based on the questions we've gotten through the years is that we would just work with bigger and bigger companies with bigger and bigger budgets in an agency world. And like, and the goal is to sell your agency. Like that's kind of like the, the path and trajectory of how things work. And I think I'm really proud of the fact that 14 years in, almost half our business is pre-launch companies. And mm-hmm. if anything, we're going earlier stage because we have founders coming to us before they've raised money 
asking us for advice, figuring out who they should talk to to raise capital. Like that, we love that stuff. So it's it's not about um, what might seem to be the obvious filters. And we'll even have people say to us like, oh, well, obviously like this company is too early and they, they're not a fit for you. Like they're not like, you know, all birds, just company, you know, companies raise lots of money. I'm like, no, no, no. Like we're working with the businesses before they become that stage. Right. And we also work with companies at scale, but like that's not the core of, of what we're doing. Um, so for some reason that seems to be the perception, but it's definitely not the reality of what we're seeking out and what gets us excited. Yeah, absolutely. So I have a, a little bit more of a, a fun or basic question is how did you guys come up with the name Red Antler, which I'm sure you've been asked a million times, but for posterity in our podcast. Yes. So, well, we knew our vision was to work with startups and we decided we should practice what we preach and start with strategy. And we decided that our core positioning, the core benefit we offered was growth. You know, we believed that brand could be a driver of business growth. And this was at a time when people were not thinking that way, right? Mm -hmm. It was very much the days of like the lean startup, get out there, see what happens, then worry about brand. Um, but we had a very different hypothesis. So we wanted our name to embody that. We knew we were not going to use our last names um, in this case. It just didn't make sense for us and what we wanted to build. So we decided to come up with a metaphor and um, antlers. I learned on Wikipedia, which is where I go for a lot of naming inspiration, have the fastest growing cells in the animal kingdom. So I stumbled on this fact brought it to JB. He loved the image of an antler. I think JB is very into lodge imagery in general. Um, lodge <laughs> life. at the time. Yeah. <laughs> and then we just decided we needed a modifier to create more visual memorability. And that's how we added red. Yeah. I love that. Also, I'm I love so glad show. I learned something I didn't know. <laughs> about I hope it's true. <laughs> I've awesome. not fact checked that since. So <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. I don't think anyone's worrying about it. <laughs> no, that's awesome. I love that. Um, so, and can you tell me a little bit about the decision? I know you guys spun off a new concept or you launched a marketing arm. Is it a separate standalone company or is it within the umbrella? Like how does that operate and how did you guys decide to do to kind of expand your services? Yeah, I think our business has been one of constant evolution. If we look back at where we started with just the two of us and the skill sets we had um, and then where we are today with the team of, just over a hundred people um, and a really diverse set of capabilities in terms, you know, across like strategy, naming, messaging, copywriting, brand design, UX, um, visual design, engineering, industrial design, packaging, interiors and environments, advertising, creative production. Like we've built out a really uh, like a, a constantly evolving set of capabilities based on what we see happening in the world, mm -hmm. what companies need to launch, what's important, what are the touch points that are going to matter for for a consumer. And I think over the last few years, what we've seen the areas of like the most uh, evolution and what's become more and more important is around um, content, like, you know, thinking of like visual assets, photography, video, um, both for own channels and also for paid channels. And then how you're thinking about go to market strategy uh, for paid media. Um, in addition, to obviously the stuff that you're doing in terms of like owned. And from our perspective, like we want to, be a partner that can help the companies that we're working with think about all of these different touch points as successfully as possible. So the evolution is, I mean, it's like we're, we're currently talking about like what's happening in the market, what's next, where are things going and thinking about what capabilities we need to be developing. 
and um, and Good Moves launching about two years ago is just you know one of the many things we've done over the years, but mm-hmm. one that we did in a slightly different way, uh, which is a bit of an experiment of trying you know building a different brand, which is very much a part of the same family. Um, I mean, when we were in our office, we we're all sitting in the same office, <laughs> mm-hmm. different time at the moment, um, and wanting that you know the the evolution that happened that specifically triggered that was seeing companies go from okay we're gonna launch and then start testing different things and there's like a junior growth person on the team and like we're trying some stuff out to okay it's like three four months from launch like what's our strategy what's the plan we're putting together like we need to think about how we're going to manage customer acquisition out of the gate that was an evolution that happened through the years and as we saw that playing out it was like okay there needs to be more strategy more planning and we need to think about the assets we're creating, how that maps to a media strategy and like connect all of those dots. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's really what brought about building out that capability. Awesome. Amazing. Uh, well, good for you. That's super exciting. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess to take it back, I just want to take it back to partnerships a little bit and kind of give like, what would be your number one advice for two people, three people, doesn't matter the number, who are embarking on some sort of endeavor together, um, what would be like the number one thing you would tell them to keep in mind or do? When it comes to, make to their sure, partnership. Yeah, to make sure that they're successful. You're waiting for me to go. No, I mean, I'll, I'll go first. Go first. <laughs> Look, I think that if you think about where we started in this conversation, a successful business partnership, in my mind, is one that is as much personal as it is professional. So I don't think you should be evaluating business partners through such a different lens than how you think about the people that you want in your life in general. Um, there might be some additional criteria of like skill sets to complement you or like other things that um, are different than how you're thinking about your friends or people you're spending your time with outside of work. But I think um, you, you're going to wind up going through all sorts of hills and valleys and have to make tough decisions, have to have arguments, have to like figure out the path forward together. And um, it's much less about, you know, two, three people independently doing their thing next to each other who happen to share in like leading a business or owning that business together. That's not how it works. It's like, you're a blobby thing all mashed up together and like it's all ultimately your problem. So think about like, are you going on that adventure with people that you want to do that with? Like, I think that's the perspective to keep in mind. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine doing this with someone who I didn't really enjoy spending time with. Like, I'm sure there's other people that I could logically match with as a business partner if we were just basing it on skill sets alone, but it would be a lot less fun. Yeah, absolutely. We're about to move on to the last part of this podcast, but I will say, having kind of known you guys but not know you well, you have some of the best chemistry I've ever seen, like doing this podcast. We we interview tons of partners and I, I love all of them and they're all very unique. Some are married, some are, you know, strictly professional partners, some just met a few years ago. Um, but I it's crystal clear to me why you work well together from talking to you today. Mm-hmm. Well, I love that. That makes me so happy. I'm doing a little dance for our chemistry. Also, one time a client thought we were married and we were super weirded out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say people, when, when Melissa and I talk about each other, we refer to each other as our partner. And 
Um, when I was planning my wedding, <laughs> Melissa, <laughs> Melissa really loves to plan things. And she essentially was like, I'll plan your wedding for you. Fine. And she would email places. And so many times it was Melissa and Jennifer, the two brides getting married. And we did not correct anyone. <laughs> no. We were really excited about it. And I was you know, super happy about it. And I mean, listen, her, it's so similar. Like, her victories are my victories. You know, Melissa's pregnant. I feel like we're both pregnant, you know? So it's, it's a really, it's a, it's a very unique relationship. And it's one that's brought, I think me tremendous amount of joy. And I can see that it's brought both of you a lot of joy as well. Um, Emily officiated my wedding. So really? Yep. Oh, I gave a reading at Melissa's wedding. She did an Um, excellent job. Yes, I was the reverend at JP and Ariel's wedding. And congratulations, Melissa. That's yeah, so congrats. exciting. Oh, when are you due? You. Oh, she's not pregnant. No, I mean, she's had babies. Well, congratulations on your previous pregnancy. Am I too? Congratulations yeah, on the you. rumor I just started. Totally oh. fine. <laughs> Yeah, Melissa's going to text me after this and be like, what do you know that I don't? (laughs) No, it's totally fine. Um, All right. So we have this like last section of our podcast that we've called, we rebranded. I don't know. You you guys may judge it and say it's not that very, not very good. (laughs) It's called Ship Session. Um, And basically what we did was we kind of asked our listeners and our community to write in for with questions that they had for business partners, entrepreneurs, whomever that we would have on air. So we could get your input, your expertise, and give them a little bit of something extra that maybe we didn't already ask. Um, So how do you build out and scale a team that preserves your ultimate vision and culture for Red Antler while also allowing you to let go as you grow? That's a good one. Good job, Emily. Oh, not this Emily. This is from a different Emily, but perfect question for you guys. So I think that that is an excellent question and truthfully one of the things we've probably struggled the most with as we've built our team. And I think that for a long time, we've actually taken an approach of very much promoting from within which I think is wonderful, right? Like there's a lot of people who are now in very senior leadership positions at Red Antler who grew up with Red Antler. And that has always felt like an incredible journey together because in terms of sharing values, it's like we've all been in it together. We don't have someone coming in from the outside who has a different perspective, a different way of working, and we're trying to kind of like mesh them into how we do things. But on the flip side, there is a benefit to outside perspective and there is a benefit to having leaders on the team who grew up somewhere else and know things that we don't know and have been through struggles that maybe we're going through right now and have a new perspective on how to solve them that hasn't just sort of grown naturally with the way our company has grown. So I think in recent years, we've made more of a leap and brought on some senior team members who do come from elsewhere and who know things even that JB and I don't know And that's been awesome and transformative for our business. And it's also been challenging, right? Like it's harder. Um, There's definitely more times when we might clash or have a different perspective, but I do think it's been worth it in order to feel that, you know, we've got people on the team that are bringing new ideas to the table and challenging us and, and helping us grow. So I think we've kind of taken the approach of doing both and that's been what's been most successful for us but it's an ongoing journey for sure yeah i think the people who are coming in with a new perspective and more experience 
it's making sure that they're they're coming to your business for the right reasons and they're excited about learning about what makes your business special and figuring out how to map their perspective to that opportunity versus coming in and trying to roll out a playbook. Um, and I think the difference is people who come in and think that they know the answer to things, which is likely going to be not the answer versus listening, learning, developing a perspective and figuring out a solution that builds on their perspective, but is ultimately um, true to the values and the culture of the company that they've joined. I think that it's just like, there's different types of people, right? Some people I think um, either through the confidence or whatever it might be, think they've got the answer. And I think we found in the past when that's been the approach, we have an incredibly, I think we've, we've built a very um, empathetic, sensitive, organism in our team and i think that's something that has been incredibly powerful and leads to the success of the work that we do but it also means we have a team that like cares deeply and is paying attention to the details and like wants to feel like they're a part of something that's evolving for the right reasons versus you know something else yeah that organism has rejected a lot of organs (laughs) (laughs) yeah gross Okay, one more question, and then and then you guys are free to go. Um, from Jen, which is actually not me, which is if you are a solo founder and you're talking to VCs and they're saying you really should have a co-founder, is there a good place to start? Like, should you look at your own personal network? Should you start networking with friends? Should you just go onto LinkedIn and look at it like a traditional job interview? Or should you, if you feel really like in your gut that you can do it alone, just do it alone because I do hear a lot of this from from solo founders that the VCs they're talking to are saying you know it would be great to have someone you know at bat with you. I think step one is understand why they're telling you that because from on one hand it's a de-risking variable for the investor right so mm-hmm. if, if I'm an investor and I meet a solo founder it's like you're making a chance that, like that person is going to figure out all the hard stuff right. And if there were more than one person, then it's like, okay, if they have decent chemistry, you've got two people who <laughs> you've got a good enough chance, they're going to figure out all the hard stuff. So I think it's it's understanding what the reason is that they think you should have an additional founder and making sure there's something valid there versus what could just be a mm-hmm. lazy answer mm-hmm. um, that is self-serving for them. And then based on that information, you'll have a better sense of what are, if it's specifically around skills gaps that you have, then that helps you hone in on what it is you're looking for. I also think you can ask those investors, who do they know? Because if they're excited about mm-hmm. you and the business, they'll probably be helpful. And I think they tend to have really good networks mm-hmm. um, and founders that they've worked before who are looking to do their next thing or can, you know, were in, on a team and so they saw that business grow and then are at a point where they can bring skills that complement you. So yeah. I would I would like question their question and then I would Ask them if they have someone because they if they have a vision. They should what do the work missing, if they're making they you look for someone, right? Yeah. I'll, I mean, <laughs> um, I'll also just answer by saying not like the question was to me, but I think they're also you can do the work to figure out do you need another co-founder or can you just hire someone who complements your skill set? Like mm-hmm. a co-founder to me is you know like as we said many times a marriage, right? Like you are in the trenches with that person. If you're meeting with VCs and they're saying, well, you know, you can't do this. There's no reason you can't just hire someone who can. It doesn't necessarily have to be a co-founder. To me, Mm -hmm. the narrative of being co-founders is extremely important and can't be artificial. Like I 
from a PR perspective, I think it's plainly obvious when you meet with two people and they don't really want to be in the room together and they're there because a VC put them together, um, like One Direction and Simon Cowell. You know, so I, I truly believe that when you're figuring out during your launch what it is you need and what maybe your best skill set is not, you ask yourself, can I just hire you know, a CMO? Can I hire a chief of staff? Can I hire a really great programmer as opposed to can this person be my co-founder? Mm-hmm. Not like and, that question is for me or anyone even really yeah. wants to hear my input. Now I like it. No, it's true. That's in the okay. context of a startup, like co-founder can mean different things. And it could be that you still own the majority of the business and have control of that business, but you bring someone on with a tremendous amount of skill and experience and they have some equity out of the gate versus like someone is being, because I think the challenge you face, if there is a specific skill set that you're missing is getting someone on board. Who's got the depth of experience around that is tough when you're going to be a team of two people or three people. So it's, it's, it's also just an equation of incentivizing and engaging the right type of person and talent to help support you. Um, but I think that, yeah, you've got to look at it really critically and decide if, I think the reason I have a co-founder should be more about you want to share in that journey with someone and have a working dynamic that makes you better and more successful, um, versus just plugging a skills gap, which is what you just outlined. More about the person, less about the equation. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, I think that's it. I think before we leave real quickly, just remind everyone, everyone, our massive podcast following um, where they can, what your website is. Emily, tell us the name of your book again. My book is called Obsessed, Building a Brand People Love from Day One. And it is available in all the places that you buy books. And to follow Red Antler, we're on Instagram, Twitter, just Red Antler, redantler.com. JB and I don't do much individual tweeting, but Red Antler. Yeah, we won't be interested to follow, but Red Antler. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much. We are, we were thrilled to talk with both of you. Yeah, this was a pleasure. Thank you. So fun. Thanks for having us.